Hey guys, welcome to All Elite Talking with me, your host, George. This is the debut episode of All Elite Talking. I'm looking forward to chatting with you all each and every week covering AEW Dynamite reviews, AEW Collision reviews, as well as pay-per-views and special events. So we've got a lot to cover this week. Um, first of all, the headline of this event, the Elite are fine. Finally, Hangman Page made his long-awaited return back to AEW. We've got the AEW Collision announcement to go over. Wardlow and Christian Cage meeting at the start of the show. Orish Cassidy and Darby Allen versus Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. Sammy Guevara versus Exodus Prime. Even more Jarrett's on screen. Ruby Soho and Tony Storm versus Britt Baker and Hikari Shida. Roderick Strong versus Chris Jericho in a Falls Count Anywhere match where both the JAS and Adam Cole are banned from the building. Roosh versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry. And the main event of Ricky Starks versus Jay White. So a lot to go over this week. But before we do, I'd like to give you a little bit of background about me and what you can expect from me each and every week. So guys, I've been a wrestling fan pretty much the entirety of my life. Now, the one thing I'm not going to do is tell you all how long that is because God knows I feel old enough already as it is. But let's just say, to put you in the ballpark, that everyone who was coming out about the Randy Orton news last week saying that he was a staple of their childhood, well, let's just say I was already a fully grown adult by the time Randy Orton even debuted. So uh, thanks for making me feel old, internet. So what we're going to discuss is just give you a little bit of background on me um, and how did I even get into AEW and how did this podcast start? Well, it's quite simple. I was a big WWE fan my entire life, even back in the days of WWE versus WCW or should say WWF versus WCW. I only watched a little bit of WCW here and there, but I was fully committed to WWF. That was, for me, what wrestling was. Even when I attended my first indie event ever in 2005, that was a real shock to the system because it was just so different to what I was used to with WWF and that level of wrestling and the presentation and what goes into it. Over the years, I was still really within that WWE bubble. My tendencies skewed more towards the American Western style wrestling, uh, the sports entertainment mixed with the pro wrestling. And I think over that period, WWE did a really great job with it. And then NXT started and that was just TV that I couldn't get enough of. I was lucky enough to actually go and attend an NXT takeover. So I attended my first ever WrestleMania at WrestleMania 32. Yes, I know. That WrestleMania when everyone got injured and Roman Reigns was in the main event against Triple H. That was a fun time. But I got to go to NXT TakeOver a couple of days before. And that was the match where the Revival versus American Alpha honestly just turned me back into a 10-year-old all over again. All I wanted to see was American Alpha beat the Revival. I just wanted to see them beat them. That was it. I didn't want anything else. The whole time I was just sitting there waiting for them to win and it just transported me back to that place of being a kid again. I was lucky enough to be in the building as well for Asuka winning the title and that was obviously the start of her amazing title run that she had and also for Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. Now Nakamura is someone that for years I just never clicked with. I could never ever see what anyone else saw. I was lucky enough to see him live a couple of times, really close to the ring, and I just, I didn't get it. 
did not get it. And then I was at that event in Dallas and suddenly it all clicked right from the start when he started coming out, the music, everything about him. So we kind of start flashing forward a little bit and WWE, they were just starting to get to that stage for me where it was just leaning a bit, bit more away from what I liked as a wrestling fan. And I was getting into BTE and I was watching the Young Bucks on there. New Japan was still a real step too far for me in terms of the kind of wrestling that I liked at the time. And to some degrees, there's still bits of that that I've, I find hard right to this day. But at the time, it was just too much for me. So I would watch people like the Young Bucks and I'd watch Kenny, watch them have their matches, but I wouldn't get involved in the whole card. I'm a bit OCD when it comes to stuff like that. If I watch something, I want to watch it all. And when you've got cards that were lasting as long as they were, and matches that were lasting as long as they were, for a product where I was maybe wasn't as invested, it was harder and harder for me to spend that time really fully getting into New Japan. But the announcement of All Elite Wrestling coming was brilliant for me. I knew that is what I wanted to start following. I was hoping at the time that I would have that and I'd have WWE, and I'd get to a stage where I was going, what show do I want to watch first? Not which show do I want to watch, but which one do I want to watch first? And that's where, as a fan, I'd really like to be. I still hope one day that I can get to. But All Elite Wrestling came around, really captured what I enjoy about wrestling, the the different types of matches, the roster that's around, the characters that we've got, the new people who are stepping up, and the fact that there doesn't feel to be this real sort of anchor around people. They're allowed to go out into the ring and do what they do best. And that's what I really enjoy about it. Now, here's a fun fact for you all. I was actually in Washington, D.C. the day the first Dynamite was aired. And I wasn't there. So a little bit of a backstory you'll find out from me is I have absolutely terrible luck when it comes to seeing the Young Bucks live. And I think it was either just before or around my wedding. They were in London, but obviously couldn't go to that. There was another time when I was in America while they were here in the UK. And when it came to AW Dynamite, my friend was getting married. So months and months and months before it even got announced that Dynamite was happening that night, my friend, his wife is from Washington. They were getting married out there, had everything booked already. And then the news came out that AW's first Dynamite is going to be in Washington. And I was like, brilliant. At the time, if people remember, it was being referred to as Tuesday Night Dynamite. I thought, brilliant, we fly back on the Wednesday. It's going to be so good, I'll be able to get a ticket for that, see the debut event, fly home the next day. And then it got announced it was Wednesdays. So my seeing the Young Bucks live curse happened again, and I didn't get to see it. Now, I know some of you will be sitting there going, why didn't you just change the flights? Well, I uh, looked at that. That was going to cost me around one and a half grand be able to do that so obviously not really feasible to pay that amount to go and see a show in some ways i wish i had because then i could claim to have gone to the debut episode but at the same time it was just yeah it was so far out of the the realms of possibility of being able to afford it so yeah that's a little bit about me and kind of how i became an aw fan and i don't think i've missed an episode of dynamite or if i have very infrequently since the start of the run I used to really be into Rampage, not so much now, but I make sure to at least check out every Dynamite that happens and the pay-per-views and all the specials as well. So I'm hoping as the weeks go on, we can start to get to know each other a bit more and you guys can learn a bit about me and 
hopefully have some good chats about AEW. So without further ado, let's get into the hot topic of the show today. The Elite are fine. So obviously last week we saw the steel cage match between Moxley and Omega, which ended in what I think for a lot of people would say is a shocking way. Most of us were expecting Don Callis to turn at some point on Kenny. We weren't sure when it was going to happen and... I don't know about anyone else, for me in that cage match, that's not when I was expecting it or in the way that it happened either. I was expecting some real snivelly heel kind of trip or, or something like that, like a begging. Not Even though it was still a bit of a snivelly heel kind of sneak attack with the screwdriver, that's not what I was expecting. So we'll come into the show today going, what is happening there? Like, Why did Don do what he's done? What is going to happen for the Elite going forward? what is going on in this story here so we start off earlier in the night and it was the young bucks arriving into the venue and that is when it all started happening so as the young bucks started arriving in renee was there ready to have a chat with them and so were the blackpool combat club and we just saw a beat down an absolute beat down and a mauling by them slamming them on cars the Young Bucks try to get a bit of a sneak attack in themselves with the suitcases and the hand luggage and try to throw them at the guys. But no, they were just... Num- there was there was too many of them. And I say there was too many of them. There was no Brian Danielson. So first of all, I wonder where he was. Um, but there was no Brian Danielson there at all. It was just the three of the other guys. But when you've got a guy like Claudio and Moxley, they can almost outnumber just on one-on-one. They, they could be that... The way they're portrayed, that physically dominant Claudio slamming, I think it was Nick, up onto the the car bonnet. And yeah, it was just a a start to the show, which meant that we knew that if they were to meet up later, and I say if, when they were to meet up later, because we all knew that the Don Callis situation, again, wasn't going to go down without the elite being there. But it was, it's already then started putting them on the back foot for that part of the show. So then we come up to Don Callis coming out. So it's been brought up all show. Don Callis is going to speak later. Don Callis is going to speak later. Don Callis is going to speak later. And he did. He came out. Now, what I thought was really brilliant was before he even came out, the screen started playing on a loop, the video of him attacking Kenny over and over and over again, which I thought that's great because it's just going to rile the crowd up. And it did. Couple that with the lines of security that were standing there, it just made it look like a bit of a throwback to expecting like a 70s style crowd riot to happen. And the crowd were, they played their part to absolute perfection in this huge, huge booze of Don Callis as soon as he walks out and no music, which meant, I mean, I don't know if Don, Don does have any music anyway, but. By having no music whatsoever, it just allowed those crowd boos to come and constant piece of shit chant from the crowd. And that just said everything that set the tone about what we needed. And then he got in the microphone and we were all still wondering, how are they going to explain this? And, you know, they didn't. And that's fine for now because they gave us enough now to go... That tracks for Don Callis, but we still want more and we still want to find out more. So Don got on the microphone and said, everyone's been asking me what I did to Kenny Omega. The real question is, I'm going to talk about 
what Kenny Omega did to me. And then he went straight into victim mode. He said, he said, there's only one victim here, and it's Don Callis. He said, without him, Kenny wouldn't have won the IWGP title. He wouldn't have had the match against Chris Jericho at the Tokyo Dome. The first night that Don was partnered with Kenny on screen, Kenny won the AEW world title. And none of that would have happened without him. And he said, without me, there is no Kenny Omega. Which, right on cue, we get Battle Cry come on and Kenny Omega comes out. Straight away, comes out. And we get no more from Don for the rest of the show. That That's Don's part over with. And Kenny comes out and the security just starts to swarm at him. And then he runs and does his thing. Starts to knock people down. Until the Blackpool Combat Club. All four of them come out this time. And they, again, the numbers game just starts with them. They start to beat up on Kenny. They eventually get into the ring. And Mox gets on the mic and said, The war is already over, Kenny. You and your pissant friends can't touch us. You never could. I love the, the pissant comment there. Because obviously, Triple H, a um, little bit of a nod. And I know some people will probably go either think that's either reaching or going oh wwe again there's never a middle ground when AEW's considered but i just liked it, it was a little bit of a, a nice little nugget in there and he said this is your final warning stay down we are the elite and i love it because obviously you're playing up that these guys are they're the proper wrestlers um, and it doesn't hurt that three of them are ex-wwe because in a situation like this, having the guys who have been to the biggest company, who have been on the biggest shows in WrestleMania, have them be the ones that go, no, we're the professionals here. Also, in the fallout of Brawl Out, it being said that Moxley was one of the locker room leaders at the time as well. All of that stuff, life imitates art or art imitates life, whatever the saying is. It all blends in quite nicely to have you believe that these guys think, actually, you guys are just amateurs at what you do. We're the real professionals here. Get in line. And it was it was really good. And obviously, at that point, Kenny's not alone anymore. The Young Bucks come out. And they're battered and bruised, absolutely spent from what happened earlier in the night. And they've got their can of weapons and they all take one, but you can see on their faces that they just need a little something extra. And then, bang, round cue, Hangman Page's music starts. And, God, I've not heard a pop like that in AW for a long time. And I know that Hangman Page is someone who has been quite divisive in terms of his position as a top-level guy. Hangman Page lost his way a little bit. Could be argued... During his title run, he was having some great matches, but he was never really booked strongly from a, a character depth perspective. He was having good matches, he was putting good matches, but you're never given that, or you're very rarely given that reason to care and invest as much time in. And I am one of the biggest Adam Page fans you'll meet. Love the guy, but he just wasn't given enough. And that happens a lot in the history of wrestling to first-time babyface champions. They need that little bit of something extra. And what they've been doing with him to build that up. Fast forward to his match with Moxley. His death match. Which not my kind of match whatsoever. But it was joint favourite for me on that pay-per-view alongside the main event. And I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And right down to the music. 
the red light, how Hangman was dressed, everything about it, the whole presentation just did something for him. And I thought when he came out here, he had like a leather eye patch on. And I thought, it looks cool. It looks a bit badass. He's He's got one eye, but he's still going to come out and fight. And he obviously stands there alongside Kenny. Kenny reaches out and gives him a weapon. And I thought that was a nice little touch because let's look at the history of AEW. In the history of AEW, there's more history of Kenny and Hangman being on opposite sides throughout the whole run than there is of them being together. Obviously, right at the beginning, they had this amazing tag team title run that I don't think anyone saw come in. And the story that told, which led to obviously the split between the two, right the way through to when Hangman beat Kenny. Now, it's obviously been widely referenced that Kenny doesn't go back and watch his matches or watch things on screen. We know this. He he trusts the people around him. And one of the stories for a long time has been about how the Young Bucks didn't save Kenny in the match and almost anointed Hangman as the champion. You've got the stuff with Don as well, where all of that plays into it. And to have Hangman come out and stand with Kenny and Kenny to give him a weapon, it kind of almost shows a little bit of enemies becoming friends or at least enemies becoming tolerable and cordial with each other. Now, we know that Hangman's tried to make amends and it's been largely in Kenny's court this whole time, but that was just another nice little touch that actually he's acknowledging they're on the same page. Hangman's then the one that starts to charge down. He's shown absolutely no fear. And with that, Kenny just seems to get a burst of energy running with the trash can lid as a shield and jumps straight into a Superman punch on Wheelie Utah. And then, yeah, the Elite just start going to town. They've got the two by fours. They've got the, I think it was a broom with barbed wire on it. They've got the trash can lid. And they just start beating the hell out of the Blackpool Combat Club. We then get to stage where... All, all this is going on and the crowd as loud as you like are just cowboy shit cowboy shit the whole time and it just shows what it means to them to have Paige back and it shows that even being out for a few weeks has still got the crowd behind him which is a really really positive because if you ask me I think Hangman's going to be the guy that dethrones MJF and we need to get to a stage where the crowd are really on his side and where we've got something about, about him and being involved in the feud with these guys, especially Mox, I think is going to do a lot for his character moving forward. Wheeler Uter is then the guy that gets in the ring to do the uh, the inevitable spots that you get whenever this happens in wrestling. You start getting the finishers and he eventually gets the, um, the buckshot lariat from Hangman Page. And then we get to the stage where the Blackpool Combat Club are backing off. They're going away and doing a separate thing. And then Hangman is turning and looking at the Elite. Now, the camera does this really nice shot, which it happened, I think, I want to say it was at the end of when Kenny and Hangman were a tag team. And it was when Hangman was in that anxious millennial cowboy, drunk cowboy kind of stupor. Then it, I know it happened again a few months ago, maybe even only a month ago, where he was stood there and Kenny was just like, nah, having none of this. So they've done this exact shot a few times and it's a nice little callback. And again, something AEW does really, really well is callbacks for you to actually notice and take part in the small details. So when this came up, it was like, right, we've seen this before a couple of times now. What's going to happen here? And what was different this time is Hangman just walked over and stood in between them. And it showed you, actually, 
they are now a unit. And that was really, really good. So from there, we get Hangman on the microphone and he says, we are the heart, we are the spirit, we are the soul of this place. We are the elite. And you just got the Blackpool Combat Club looking a bit beaten. Mox doesn't have that swagger that he always does. Danielson, even as this cocky bad guy, always has a smile on his face. No smile on his face whatsoever. Like, they knew that they'd been beaten at this point. And then it got announced right at the end, double or nothing, anarchy in the arena. And that's how the show ended. And I think that was a really strong statement of intent from AEW with this feud. And I know a lot of people were expecting blood and guts because we've not had one of those this year. And that was really great when we were able to do that as like a self-contained dynamite. But if you're going to have a blood and guts match, a pay-per-view, it's going to be really hard to do. Especially in an arena where it, it is all set up to to have one ring and one set of matches in one ring, not this war game style match. So um, the Anarchy in the Arena should be a really great match. Yeah, really looking forward to that coming through. But I think I thought this was a really strong way to end Dynamite. Because overall, I thought this episode of Dynamite was pretty good. I'd say probably a solid 7 out of 10. When the big bits happened, they really hit. It wasn't a blow-you-away kind of dynamite whatsoever, but did really well at what it was trying to achieve. So to end on such a high, going, right, okay, so Don has said it's Kenny's fault. What is he talking about? So we've got that thread coming out of it. We've got the Blackpool Comeback Club are feeling probably a little bit embarrassed because this has never happened to them before, I don't think, in AEW. They've never really been on the back foot as much as they are now they have always been on the front foot where and the people that put them on the back foot are the so-called amateurs you've got kenny who is realigned in some way with hangman so what's going on there what's going on with their relationship and then you've also got the elite being whole but ticking along underneath at least according to bte is this story of matt jackson not wanting kenny to find out what happened that night when hangman won the title so yeah there's all these stories coming out of it which could make it quite an interesting couple of weeks now we've only got just over a week until we're at the pay-per-view so we've got a rampage a dynamite another rampage so really we've got one pay-per-view to get us ready for this if you ask me i'd just do some sit down promos or something like that i wouldn't do any kind of brawls or coming together i would just keep them apart now ready for that match i would have some story segments going on with the elite trying to find what sort of page they're on and whether they're all aligned as one unit and i'd have the blackpool comeback club just really getting into the gym and really start training and really preparing for this match that is what i'll do there but yeah it, it really throws up some interesting stories and then the other story as well who is don Callis aligned with did he do this because he's had enough of Kenny? Did he do this because he's aligning with the Blackpool Combat Club? And obviously one of the things that's been rumoured for a while is Takeshita. Is Takeshita going to join the Blackpool Combat Club? Now, personally, I'd hope not because I think he's a great babyface. But does he join them next week? I know in the, the pay-per-view, we get Kota Ibushi coming and joining the Elite. And then have that real big match there. I don't know, but it just throws up all of these different thoughts of what could happen. And finally, there's, a, there's one bruv out there who might very well be looking to have Don Callis put a thorn in Kenny's side, especially with AEW coming to Wembley. So 
a lot of really, really good stuff there for these segments on Dynamite and what could probably be described as the biggest feud, at least alongside the Four Pillars match. So in other news yesterday as well, we got the announcement of AEW Collision. Now, most of us were expecting AEW Collision to be announced at some point. It's the worst kept secret in all of pro wrestling. We all knew AEW Collision was coming. We knew the name of the show. We knew pretty much the date it was coming. We were just waiting on it being formally announced. So yesterday the press release came out. TNT launches a second night of wrestling with AEW Collision featuring headliners Thunder Rosa, Miro, Samoa Joe, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Andrade El Idolo on Saturday, June the 17th. TNT launches a second night of professional wrestling with a new tentpole series, AW Collision. It was announced today during Upfronts from Warner. It's been described as a live two-hour in-ring show which will air every Saturday night live from 8 till 10 p.m. and feature more wrestlers, more stories, and more action to super serve fans. AW Collision will feature headliners including Miro, Samoa Joe, Thunder Rosa, Powerhouse Hops, and Andrade El Idolo. So reading what the press release goes on to say, it really sounds like this is going to be the 1A, 2A alongside Dynamite. These are going to be your two shows. It's the Raw and Smackdown of AEW. Lovely nod to Nitro Colors there as well. I know that's really getting to a lot of people. But it's just a fun little nod to wrestling's past as well, especially on TNT. This should be really great news for all of us. The one thing that I would say about AEW I've really loved is that they have enough content that you can you can watch it all. In terms of the big shows, I want to watch what's the must-see television. And it's also why I started falling off of Rampage. Rampage, I thought, had one of the best formats in wrestling. Just the, the three-match format. It was always interesting matches. And it just got a bit wayward. I know that ratings started suffering and it looked like they were trying to get that back on track and that didn't work. So maybe they just gave up on it a bit. I don't know what happened. It's a shame, but to have a new two-hour show of TV is going to be a great thing. Now, it's obviously mentioned the headliners. So one of the reasons that we're hearing about this as well is everything to do with one CM Punk and what's happening with him and the whole brawl out stuff and whether or not that has meant that there will be a brand split. I'm going to be up front with it. And I know this is controversial to say these days because the more younger fans that are into, in wrestling and actually adults now, a lot more people have grown up with there being brand splits and two world titles. I don't like the idea of a hard brand split in the sense that at least in the sense that it limits who you can have on what shows and inevitably it leads to two world titles. And for me, I think that really devalues wrestling if you have two world titles. Yes, it gives more people opportunities, but the more people are champion, the less being champion means. And I know that's quite a ironic thing to say with AEW to a degree, given the amount of belts that AEW have, but the belts pretty much all serve a purpose. You could argue international or TNT are a bit superfluous. But for the most part, all of the belts actually have a purpose. You have a world title in the division. You have a women's title in the division. You have a secondary women's title. You have a secondary men's title. You have your trios titles because trios are featured. And you have your tag team titles. 
yes, when Ring of Honor titles also start featuring on the show as well, it starts to water it down a bit, and I would agree with that. But having two titles that are your world champion, that devalues that in a completely different way. So hoping that doesn't happen, but it looks like this show on Saturday is where Miro, Samoa Joe, Thunder Rosa, Powerhouse Hobbs and Andrade are going to be the main features. And you know what? I'm really cool with that. Miro is a guy who I think everyone can agree with. His run as TNT champion was just incredible. We all loved it or pretty much everyone loved it. Samoa Joe is a guy who all of us, again, I say all of us as I'm talking for all you guys as well. A lot of us loved but said his best years are probably past him now. And to a degree they are. But when he came in and for me, his little run as the king of television, you know, I loved it. It was great. He's got a way on the mic that if you use him the right way, he can be a real big asset to that show. Thunder Rosa, going to be up front here. She's someone that I really started to fall off with a little bit. Again, I was a massive Thunder Rosa fan right up until when she won the title. And personally, I didn't think that was a very good match at all. And I was a bit upset about that because I think the way AEW went down and booked it all in the lead up, it just, I think they really kind of, they did a bit too much all around that time and it just didn't land the way it should have done. But she's been away long enough now. And again, there's things which have gone on outside of the ring that maybe are going to make it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more bite into what goes on on screen. I don't know, but interested to see what happens there. Hobbs, I mean, Hobbs is great. He's good at what he does. He just needs more of a spotlight and he needs to move the hell away from QTV and all of that nonsense. If he needs a manager to speak for him, get him a proper manager it is doing nothing but making him look like an absolute bloody chump hanging around with those guys. So get him away from all of those. Get him a proper manager. Get Hobbs back on track and get him so he's at the stage where he could be a believable challenger to the title. And finally on that list, Andrade, a guy that I have loved ever since NXT when he arrived in AEW, had big, big hopes for him. And to say that it's been underwhelming is probably fair to say. Not all his fault. At the end of the day, you can only work with what you've got booked or how you're getting booked. Have Andrade there. Give him Roosh as well alongside him. Give them someone different other than Preston Vance. It's not working for me. I don't know who, who the answer is. It's just not working for me. He feels like, again, a QT Marshall knockoff like that kind of mold of people. He seems like a great guy, but I don't think it's, it's working well for that act. So put someone else there with them, make them a trio that feels like they're a devastating, we give no fucks kind of trio. Rules don't apply to us trio. Do something there and really push Andrade up. And then obviously on the poster that came out, you had some other people appearing on there. The FTR were on there. Now, if the rumor is it's going to be a CM Punk show, and it's mainly the people who are aligned with CM Punk, you can expect a lot of FTR on there. MJF was featured on the poster as well, and so was Orange Cassidy. So I imagine for the first couple of episodes, we're going to get MJF being there quite a lot, and we're going to get Orange Cassidy there as well. Orange Cassidy, I'm going to throw it out there. I think that is the night he's losing his title. I think whoever he loses that title to... They're going to keep that around collision for a while and you're going to have the TNT title on Dynamite and you're going to have the international title there. And I think the guy's done such a solid, solid job with that belt and he's really, really helped lift 
how that title was regarded up a long, long way there. So, yeah, AEW Collision is coming June the 17th and couldn't be more excited for another two hours of AEW every week for something meaningful. So, then we actually kick off Dynamite proper now then. So, Wardlow was the first person to come out on Dynamite and decent enough pop. Wardlow is someone that I think was really, going into the MJF match, really, really highly thought of by the fans. And then a lot of stuff has happened there in between that it's just felt like he's not been capitalised on in the way he should. There was the there was a feud with Joe, which I think got a little bit muddled. But when it got back on track with the whole cutting the ponytail off and what that means, and Joe did a tremendous job there. And then getting this title back. And then the flip-flopping with Powerhouse Hobbs. Again, I didn't hate, but I felt like there should have been enough there for him to do before we get to that stage. It makes you think, yeah, this guy's solidified in this level now. And I think that's one thing that I can say again with AW. Haven't been the best at doing at times, capitalising. And usually when someone wins a big match or... a gets a title and we've seen it happen loads it's right the next the next is the smart mark sterling feud so it's smart mark banning a trademark from the acclaimed or it's him not allowing the powerbomb symphony to be used or something like that that's what we always get after one of these big moments and it needs to stop if we're gonna make someone a champion we need to make it mean something powerhouse hobbs gets the title and then he immediately gets settled with this TMZ kind of gimmick where he's not even the main focus of it. You've got QT Marshall, Aaron Solo doing these comedy bits and the uh, the lady Harley, I believe her name is, who, let's be honest, is there to be a comedy kind of character. Has been there literally for, for looks and all of that kind of stuff. And it doesn't it doesn't really suit with the whole Book of Hobbs thing that we were getting where it felt like he was almost for me, he almost felt like the Redeemer kind of thing with Miro that he had this code that he was living by and he was going to teach people a lesson and whatnot. And we just went away from that completely. So Wardlow um, has been a victim of all of that. So for him coming out, he got a decent pop. And the first thing he did was Christian and said, get a tiny jacket on and come and spit in my face. Straight to the point. Christian's music hits straight away and out he comes. The absolute king of roll neck jumpers with Luchasaurus behind him doing his best Kane impression. And he gets to the ring and Wardlow just goes straight up to him and goes, you don't have the balls, spit in my face. So Christian goes to spit in his face. And as soon as he does, Wardlow grabs him around the throat. And then we get a bit of a brawl happening. And eventually the numbers game is too much for Wardlow. Christian gets the ladder in the ring and that's where he knocks Wardlow down. He puts the ladder in the corner. Luchasaurus choke slams him onto the ladder, destroys the ladder and then that gets laid down in the centre. And Christian hits the kill switch on the ladder as well. So Christian really ramping up what he can do and what he's willing to do to get that TNT title. Controversial maybe. I really want to see Christian win the TNT title. And I know what I've just said about Wardlow. I think for now, for me, Wardlow needs something where he's not having to worry about a title. He just needs to concentrate on himself. And I think Christian could do such a good job with the TNT title being a good TV title, being a real dick about it all, and having some good feuds with up-and-comers and all of those kind of people, you youngsters who could have a good future 
your your guys who are established, but he finds a way to cheat to win with Luchasaurus there, and eventually drop it to someone like Ricky Starks or Sammy Guevara, and I think that would be really really good. But yeah, it was a it was a solid segment, but have to question whether it was really the way to open Dynamite or whether something hotter could have been put in its place there. So next up, we had Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen versus Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. Interestingly, they brought up the fact that the firm deletion happened, but Big Bill and Lee Moriarty are still friends and feel like they have unfinished business, so they're going to remain as a tag team going forward. Massive, massive pop for Orange Cassidy as he came out. Crowd just love him, and he's one of those guys that he's been using this opening match for so long because he just gets the crowd going, which is really funny given how low energy he's supposed to be. Darby came out and he got a good pop as well. Not quite on the same level as Orange Cassidy, which really shocked me because I know the crowd absolutely loved Darby Allen. But I did have to wonder whether or not the heels actually got a reaction when they came out. It just sounded dead. But that's come up a couple of times during this episode. And I'm not sure whether that's the way the sound has been done for this episode or generally whether they just didn't get a reaction. Good back and forth match. There were some good spots of rolling pins with... Orange Cassidy and Lee Moriarty. There was a great section where Big Bill had him and just did this massive swing to him and just threw him down. Looked really devastating. Coming out of this match, what I really wanted is I really wanted to see more Lee Moriarty. I thought he was really good. And I thought, is there a way that we can feature him more on Dynamite? If it has been a tag team with Big Bill, fine. You know, we, we need a couple more tag teams with some people that we want to root for or can at least put on some good matches but overall I thought it was a decent match at times Orange Cassidy was struggling getting the tag there was a great hot tag sequence in the corner and a great counter by Big Bill as well so the the teamwork between him and Lee Moriarty was really on show in this match there was a spot where Lee Moriarty got Orange Cassidy on his back and he spun him out and got him into a cross face I thought that was really nice and it's it's different to what a lot of other people are doing at the minute as well. And I think that's the sort of stuff that can set people apart. Big double superplex on the corner and then at the end just a good bit of teamwork, double teaming with the stun dog into the code red. And then we got into the beach break, coffin drop, superman punch and then we got Darby Allen doing the side headlock takeover for the win. So, little nod to MJF there as well. I thought it was a good match. If I'm rating it, a 2 out of 5. It was okay. It wasn't a match I'd say was really good by any stretch of the imagination. It wasn't bad. It was just there for what it needed to be. And it was more about telling the story of both Orange Cassidy just his back giving way and just feeling tired from everything he's doing. And for Darby Allen, that little message he was sending to MJF. So, we go into the Young Bucks arriving as we covered earlier which we then followed up with Rene Young with Wardlow. And Arn Anderson comes into the room and said he should have been there with him. And Wardlow mentions the fact that, actually, no, that's the reason. What happened out there is the reason why I didn't want you being there. And Arn said, what are you prepared to do? And I thought that was really good because it kind of says to Wardlow, you really need to ramp it up again, man. What are you going to do to beat him? So that's the one at the stage where Wardlow challenges Christian to a ladder match. Now, I found that quite interesting because, obviously... The whole point of the ladder match being that it's up to retrieve the item and 
this met, this kind of got set up as Christian using the ladder as a weapon. So I'm intrigued to see if they do something a little bit different with it in terms of, yes, we see ladders being used as weapons in those matches, but where it's so highly used here, is it going to influence the actual style of the match going forward? But again, decent enough segment. We come back from the break and Rene Paquette is with Orange Cassidy. So Orange Cassidy says that anyone who wants a shot at the title, just let TK know. And then at the end, he just says to Rene, chair. And it was it was funny. They've got great back and forth comedy timing. But where we kind of ended up on that was, I think it was Excalibur said, he needs a chair. He's so tired. He's This is really starting to take a toll on him now. So yeah, it really is building up to that. Orange Cassidy is being stretched to his limits. And I think we're in the end game of him losing the title now. It's just going to be a case of when and who to. So then we get Sammy Guevara versus Exodus Prime. And Sammy comes out. There's no Tay with him. He's just out by himself and gets this huge pop. And then obviously remember they're in Texas. So being a Texas boy, he's going to know that area quite well. Very, 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 very quick match. We've got the Oklahoma reference there for Exodus Prime. It really makes me think that TK wanted Sammy to be cheered here. It wasn't just putting him out there and he's getting cheered because he's a local. It was, we've put him out here. He's not doing his normal kiss on the stage routine with Tay. He's just coming out, doing his own thing, owning his thing and giving a, a rival with Oklahoma. That again gave them another reason to get behind Sammy. He did a knee strike into a GTH. That was it. He was done. Quick win. And then he did the promo. So again, started getting a good crowd reaction out of this. And he started going to remember the indies, the struggles, the good times, the bad times. I know I'm not perfect. You've seen my mistakes firsthand. And part of me is wondering whether that's just to the crowd in attendance with it being Texas, but a double meaning potentially with AW All Access. Sammy and Tay have been featured heavily. Now, I'm going to be up front. I used to love Sammy Guevara. I thought he was brilliant, had a great future. He then kind of hit a bit of a plateau. And I don't know if that was because of the inner circle at first, whether they got to their stage where it just felt like it'd run its course. And then with the JAS, he was almost relegated a bit there as well. So there was kind of, it wasn't really vibing with what I was enjoying. What he was doing in the ring didn't really connect with me either. It felt like the booking was a bit forced as well. I think the guy deserves a lot of what he's had but the booking of the matches with Cody for the TNT title that all felt a little Roman Reigns to me and while what I mean by that is while the matches were good not something that could usually be said for Roman while the matches were good it felt like it was a please love this guy kind of moment and that just made it a bit more like oh okay right the stuff that he's been doing over the last few weeks with the four pillars I've really, really enjoyed from him. And I think it's added another dimension to his character. But I also think the stuff on AW All Access that he's been doing with Tay and just kind of getting to know him, the person, a little bit has just really helped give that connection a little bit more. Sammy was always presented as this kind of bit of a little bit of a dickhead, kind of silly, stupid guy. And they've gone out of the way on that show to show that's not entirely who he is. And I think that translates a little bit into how his character is now morphing as well and the stuff with mjf about being his best friend and the limo and find out no one was in there and going oh okay he he knows what's up here so he's not entirely stupid and i think maybe before what they've done there is sammy would have been his best friend no matter what his best friend his best friend 
and here he's like, okay, I'm a bit wise to you now, I know what's going on, watches the take back and finds out what's happened there. So now having him come in here, giving this fired promo, shutting up the naysayers, and I've, I come out of this going, can we have more of this Sammy? Can we have the Sammy who is a bit more street wise, a bit more street smart, who has got his head screwed on a little bit. He can still be cocky, can still be all of those things, but let's give this added dimension to him. If we can get this Sammy as a good guy, I wouldn't be against him having a run with the TNT title down the line again. I know I mentioned earlier, I mentioned Ricky Sarks. I could imagine Sammy versus Christian as well. I could imagine Sammy having a run with the international title. Something that just give us a bit more with him, flesh him out a bit more, and I think we could be onto a really good run with Sammy Guevara coming out of this, which would be nice to have another younger guy on the roster to root for. Even if when rooting for him, I mean, is as a dickhead heel who just connects a little bit more with people. I thought they did a great job on the video package with the history of the four pillars as well. And then we moved on to the AW Dynamite with now even more added Jarrett. So when it comes to Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, I'm not entirely against them, not gonna lie. I think they're decent in the spot they're in and having a good mid-card tag team. The problem is they're all over the show. That's, I think, the biggest problem is they are probably the most heavily featured tag team on AEW, not named the guns of the last three to four months. And I think that's a problem when you've got teams like the Lucha Bros, the Acclaimed, FTR. I know with FTR there was kind of the thing about the contracts and whatnot, but I think having them as one of the most featured teams has probably made people a bit wary and a bit lethargic of seeing them on screen. But they got a good reaction when they came out and Sanjay Dutt came out holding up two guitars, one with Dax and one with Cash Ren on it. A bit of foreshadowing there. But before they could even do anything there, FTR straight out, Satnam Singh thrown into a nicely um, provided table, taking him out right at the beginning and then FTR just go into ass kicking mode and just start kicking them the hell around the ring, showing no mercy, getting the upper hand. Whenever there was any kind of reversal, bam, they were back in there. Crowd were fully in FTR's corner and then they set up for the big rig. And that's when it all changed and Karen Jarrett got into the ring. So just when you were thinking, what does this episode need? No, it doesn't need more Poochie. It needs more Karen Jarrett. That's a Simpsons reference for those who don't understand. But it's one of those moments where they stood for the reaction thinking, oh my God, people are going to love this. They're going to really react for it. And the crowd was silent. I mean, I've watched TNA as much as anyone and I didn't even recognize her at first. And it just kind of sapped away a bit of it. And she helps him get the upper hand. And then again, does another pose to try and get the crowd to react to her. And it doesn't happen again. So yeah, it was a little bit of a, mm, okay. But it got it got them into a position where they got the upper hand through a bit of cheating, much like what they always do. Jeff can hit the stroke, Satnam comes down, hits him with a double choke slam, and then get a double guitar shot. Basically, it took an absolute army to beat FTR down. So it, it makes FTR look good because they, they had the fight the whole time, but they've just got that, that outside interference to look out for good segment to at least show how dangerous the challengers can be in that they have a multitude of ways of which they can distract to cause a title loss for FTR. Rene Paquette is backstage with Darby Allen and references the end of his match earlier and said was that you sending a message to MJF? He said 
absolutely it was a message to MJF so there's been kind of a bit of talk or suggestion conjecture if you like that this four pillars feud will split off into a Derby versus MJF feud afterwards and that just adds further fuel to the fire there for that but then we get Sammy interrupting and Sammy comes up to him and goes I respect you you said I was a follower I'm not a follower I'm not going to take easy on the rest of you guys and whether it's me you or Jungle Boy someone needs to take the belt off that prick so you've now got to the stage where all of them are really starting to see Max for what he is. And it's been really worked really well. And I did have my worries that it would be too much time for these guys in between the start of this right the way through to the pay-per-view. I think at times over the weeks there have been bits which haven't been the greatest. But you know what? We're giving four younger guys, and I use that term in terms of guys who have not been around the industry as long. We're giving these four guys the time to shine on a TV stage. So you know what? Fair play to AEW there for that. We then come to the Outcasts versus Shida and Britt. So Jamie Hayter is off TV again. Not quite sure what's happening there. But Shida and Britt are a tag team tonight against Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. And I'm at the stage now where something needs to happen here. This just feels like since Soraya has been in AEW, her focus has been Britt Baker in some way, shape or form. And obviously they had their match and then they've done a double turn since then. Soraya's got some, she's got some mates and whatnot. But it never feels like this story is ever moving forward any week at all. Something needs to move forward now. But hopefully what is mentioned later in the night gets us there. So Sheeta comes out. She's got some new music and some gear. Cool. New music sounded good. But come on, guys, let it play. Let a moment breathe. If we're going to give her a new presentation, you've got to give us time to get used to what that presentation is going to be. Don't have it cut straight into Britt Baker's music. Give her, even if it's just an extra four or five seconds, give her that time. But they come out as a team and, yeah, really great to see them as a team and really strange to see them as a team given all of their shared history with Britt's title, uh, sorry, Brit taking the title from Sheeda, Sheeda's pandemic title run, the whole nose break thing, which, you know, for me, that really is when Britt Baker morphed into the, uh, okay, to this real great character for me. That moment when she was off TV for a long time kind of really helped forged her character in the way that was really similar to Randy Orton in his Randy News Network updates about his injuries back in the day. There's a lot of shared history between the two there, but the crowd were really into Sheeta, really, really into her. So that was great to see, especially with her having some time away. Britt had some really strong forearms, really laying them in there and looked really good. Soraya was doing a really great job on the outside as well, mugging Britt. So whenever she was coming over, just pulling her legs and get her in ready for a hip attack. And then there was a lot of double teaming from the outcasts, which I really like, the heels. So that's what you want to see from heels. You want to see ones who, they're not trying to be cool, they're just trying to win the match. And yeah, I thought they were just really doing a good job of making them look like a threat. Almost what I was just saying about Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with their entourage around them. Tony, throughout the whole match, just looked like a badass. I don't know what it is. When Tony came into AEW, there was something about her. I've always loved Tony Storm, 
but I don't know if it was a confidence thing or how she was just carrying herself in the ring. I don't know. She didn't feel like the Tony Storm of old. And then she started getting into that stage of when she won the title and something at that point just started clicking. And I was really, really glad because I really wanted to see Tony Storm come into AEW. I really wanted to see her do well. And yeah, there's just something about her now where she just really seems to have found her groove. She looks strong. She looks violent. She looks aggressive, loving all of that stuff. So yeah, I never ever thought though that I'd see the stage where heel violent Tony Storm was going after babyface in peril Britt Baker. Would never have imagined that. Additionally as well, um, for those of you who may be aware of it, in the UK we had an event a few weeks ago called For the Love of Wrestling. And it was a wrestling convention and we had some AW people there. What was really interesting to me when I turned up on Thursday night, which was the night before it all started, they had it all set up ready and you could see who was sitting where. And Britt Baker was sat down one end of the hall and Jamie Haight was sat down the other end of the hall. I was like, hmm, that's really odd that they've not put those guys together. What was even odder was they put Ruby Soho directly next to Britt Baker. So as we're at the event on the Saturday, sorry, it started on the Friday night and in the Saturday I was there, I was queuing to meet Jamie Hayer because how could you not meet Jamie Hayer? And literally I was the next one in line and they just pick up the table and start moving it away. And it was at that stage we realized that her and Ruby Soho were getting swapped because obviously what's going on on TV. My f The funniest moment from that though was Someone said to Jamie, what's going on? Where are you going to move to? And she went, I've no fucking clue what's going on here. Exactly what I imagined Jamie hated to be like, really down to earth. And then we had a little bit later where they were being interviewed in the ring and Ruby came and spray painted their banners. So nice to see a little bit of an angle playing out at this kind of show as well. Ruby was also really, really popular during this match as well. I mean, I know people love the theme song. And I know there's a mixture of people that are really into her as a character. She is someone that she came in and just kind of went a bit missing for me. I was, I didn't connect with her in WWE and NXT either. There was just something about her I didn't connect with. She came into AEW and I really wanted to. Whether that was in a good way or a, I want to see you lose. But I just really wanted the connection there. Didn't do it for me again. I think coming into this group with the outcasts is really helping her find her groove. And I like that. So yeah. It was a lot of back and forth trading Ruby Soho DMD chance. Really, really great to see people getting a reaction in some way, shape or form. Sheeta then had a lot of barrage of strikes, just really going for it and then hit the ropes and hit this real vicious looking back elbow. It reminded me a lot of Will Ospreay's Hidden Blade, but it was obviously to the, directly to the face. Uh, Sheeta was just getting this real big shine and real big pop throughout the night. Great to see giving her time away. Please, Sheeta, don't go away so often. Stay in the US and actually be featured. There was a great uh, butterfly suplex into a meteora, which Storm broke up. Then we've got a nice little spot that I've never seen before where Tony Storm caught Ruby, but the way Britt followed through is it caused Tony to DDT Ruby. Nice little spot that I don't ever recall seeing before. Then you've got Britt going for the lockjaw. Ruby reverses that into a two count. And then, yeah, you've got the air raid into a stomp. Soraya interfered. Tony sprays Britt Baker. Storm Zero for the win. And I thought it was a really good match, actually, for a few that I've been saying 
Uh, it just needs to get somewhere now. I thought the match ended well, and I thought the action was really great throughout. And everyone played their part really well on it. So I gave that a solid 3 out of 5. Really good match. And yeah, I was happy to see that. The matches aren't what I've got a problem with with these guys. They always put on good matches. It's just more, when are we getting somewhere? Again, a Simpsons reference. When are we getting to the fireworks factory? When are we moving to the part where something happens? But overall, really good. And like that they ended it saying, this is Tony Storm's fourth win in five days and AEW record. So again, giving Tony something out of this. Thought it worked really, really well. We then go back to Renee Paquette with Orange Cassidy. And she said, hmm, so since we spoke last time, 20 people have gone to TK and said they want a match. And what I love about Orange Cassidy and his nonchalant way of doing things, he's like, yeah, 20 people, yeah? Okay, that's a lot. Guess I'll fight them all. And then that kind of goes into this whole battle royal because he realises 20 of them, there's one of me, a Joker, 21, Vegas. So they're doing the Blackjack Battle Royal, which is going to be for the international title. Really good. I think where they could really do well with this is have some AEW people involved, but have it as an opportunity to get some people in Forbidden Door, get them in early, so some New Japan people, get some people in from the UK scene ahead of Wembley, and do a little bit of that. You don't have to overload it with all of these people, but get those faces starting in there now. Michael Oku, please. But get these people in there. And get people recognise them. So when these big events start coming around, they're already starting to pull that in. Really interested to see that match and how that turns out. So we've already covered the special announcement from TK. But one of the things that Tony mentions was about the premiere of Collision. Where is the first episode going to be? We're going to find that out next week. My guess is Chicago. We then move on to Roderick Strong versus Chris Jericho. So this was a Falls Count Anywhere match where the JAS and Adam Cole were banned from the building. If it wasn't for the Elite segment that happened at the end of the show, this would have been my main event. This was just absolutely tremendous. And it's been an interesting one for me. Roderick Strong is one of those guys that, I don't know why, but as a singles guy, could never really connect with him and I've I've used that phrase a lot today couldn't connect couldn't connect and I just don't know what it was I thought it was great in tags but just singles guy just didn't have something for me but I thought this match was a great way of shutting me up not that I ever thought the guy was bad in the ring not at all but it just he held his own in this with Jericho I thought it was a really um neat note at the beginning that Excalibur made reference to Sammy Guevara because I wondered if that if someone would be said about that and said, as he's JAS, he will be banned from the building. And almost having to remind you that he's JAS as well, which gives me more reason to believe that potentially we could start to see that split coming away. I thought it was a decent reaction for Roddy, given that you're going to have people that know him, but he's, he's certainly not an ex-WWE talent who's got that name recognition that a lot of people do when they come in. I thought he got a really good reaction. Always here for a bit of Kill Switch Engage as well, especially that song, one of my favourites of theirs. I thought the sound seemed to dip down. I don't again, don't know if it was a sound mix or not, but for Jericho, it just felt like until you got to the acapella part that you just couldn't hear the crowd singing along. Don't know if that was true or not, or if it was just a crowd who were a little bit tired or whatnot. But yeah, it just it was a little bit odd. But you could you could see him smiling at the crowd singing this song. I think he's been such 
so great over the years was a heel where didn't want merch or great merch to be on while he was a heel and all that. Now I think is his time to play that adoring rock star, sports entertainer kind of character where you know it's okay for him to try and be a bit cool and a bit loved, isn't it? I thought it was a great match. I thought both men well did their part in it. And Jericho's move into this older statesman who, you know, he can still do some of the flashier stuff that he did, but now just trying to look violent on what he does. I thought it did really well with that. I thought the elbow strikes on the ropes, so Jericho was tangled up in the ropes, or he was on the ropes, and Roderick just kind of kept running and elbow strike him in the face, and then back to the other end, and then just coming back, almost like Joe does with the knee wash into the corner, but just back and forth and back and forth, and Jericho sold it really well. He took Jericho up onto the side of the apron and drove him down on there. In case you've never heard this, it's the uh, the hardest part of the ring. But I thought it was great, and then there was a great bit of a reversal sequence which ended up putting Roderick Strong into the walls of Jericho. And at that stage, what felt like he had the advantage in the match, he started losing that. There was a great chop battle just before that as well, and Jericho was red raw. It all just started to build up to this really hard-hitting match and almost felt a little bit Japanese in style in how stiff it was getting at that point. It starts spilling out into the crowd onto the stairs. We just see Roderick lift Jericho up and drop him chest first onto the handrail on the stairs. But at that point, it was in picture-in-picture. So what happens? Well, we get it happen again as soon as we come back from picture-in-picture. But yeah, just brawling into there. A little bit of a, a pinfall attempt on the stairs, which I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Maybe I have, but I just, again, thought I was a little bit neat. But yeah, coming back from picture-in-picture, picture, we then obviously get to the stage where we're back on camera. So we start moving up into the concourse and it is packed. I do feel sorry for these kind of matches live for people, which is why, like, for something like an anarchy in the arena, I'm not sure how I feel about that as a paying fan who would be there because you're there to watch the matches and the ring is in front of you. But when they're not there, you're lo it feels like you're losing out, I imagine. I feel sorry for the fans in attendance, but, hey, a fair few of them went up there ready for that match. Yeah, they were brawling through, and it, it was just great watching them try and find random items to start beating each other up with. It was really unlucky for Roddy that there was just this random table there just set up and yeah went through the table Jericho was slammed onto one of the counters so they were using everything and really making it feel like hey if we're in this area let's make the most of it they get themselves an ice cream which is quite nice I would mind an ice cream in the middle of a wrestling match if I could um, we get a Y2J chant and Jericho just turns around and just flips them all off and again we see another spot later on where Jericho does something similar, the crowd are all walking towards him and he just turns around and just gives him a glare. We, we've moved out into the stairwell and at first it looked like they were going over the stairs. I don't know if anyone else spotted it at first, but there was a, a ledge. I didn't spot it when it looked like they were th throwing him over at first and they battled out on the ledge, which it looks dangerous. It's probably not, but it looks dangerous, which was kind of cool. We then kind of come out of there. We carry on brawling around a little bit. Jericho starts getting the upper hand and we get to the doors and Roddy at that point needs to get out, needs a bit of fresh air. You can see him going out and Jericho is stalking his prey and Strong is turning around, just putting his hands up and almost going, give me a second, give me a second, give me a second. And I thought 
amazing camera work here because the camera turns to face Jericho and behind him, coming onto the side of the venue, is Adam Cole. And I thought the way that they had the shot, how Adam Cole looked, how he played his part in this, he looked like a badass. Which, for a guy who, when you meet him, is one of the nicest people you could ever hope to meet, who will say sorry to you for you moving back so he can walk past you. For him to channel all that and do everything the way he does, I find it quite funny. But um, at the same time, he did such a good job there with his part. He brawls a Jericho on the little bit of grass. He hits the boom, and then you get Roderick Strong with the knee. And yeah, there it is. One, two, three. Roderick Strong wins his debut match in AEW. Jericho loses. So you've got Roderick Strong having a win over Chris Jericho. But you've got Jericho protected in some way as well by having Adam Cole attack him. It'll be interesting coming out of this to see what this means for the JAS. Because that's one thing I'd have expected from Jericho is to have his backup ready. Whether or not he had his backup ready somewhere else and they just didn't make it there. And he thought he was too clever for Roderick Strong and Adam Cole. Who knows? But I thought it was a nice little twist to have someone outsmart Jericho as well. We move into Roosh versus Jack Perry. Not much to say about this one really other than, first of all, Roosh just looks like an absolute star. Hope he gets a lot of time on collision with Andrade. Crowd loving Jungle Boy, loving the entrance. And this was a bit more one-sided than I expected. Roosh just absolutely demolishing Jungle Boy the whole time. It reminded me a lot of Brock Lesnar versus John Cena when Brock came back, where he just dominated the entire time. He cuts him open. He's got blood coming down. Anything he does, he starts just getting the upper hand again. We had a bit of a brawl out over the barricade, and I did wonder if we needed that after the match before literally having the same. Just felt a bit too much. Uh, Jungle Boy was making a bit of a comeback, but again, Roosh just started battering him. And then we got to the end where Jungle Boy just got a tights roll up on him and won. And I thought it was a decent enough ending to try and protect Roosh, but I felt like the whole time he was absolute in control. Did we need to have it be so one-sided and have him lose? Also, a really nasty suplex on the outside. It was going strike for strike, and then... Roosh just throws Jungle Boy who comes running at him and yeah it just it looked a bit nasty but other than that de decent enough for what it was just felt like it was a bit bit much really um bit, bit one-sided it just felt a bit one-sided and maybe Jungle Boy could have got a bit more in there but I know the whole point is to show his resiliency we could have still done that with him getting a bit more offense in there after the match there was a bit of a mugging by LFI and Darby Allen comes down to try and make the save. And he gets the same. He gets beaten up as well. Sammy Guevara comes out. Huge, huge pop. The guy, yeah, he was over when he came out. So again, really building up to this potential Sammy Guevara face turn. Felt sorry for the guy. Must have been shuffled out of the building so quickly after his match. They didn't have a chance to change into his clothes before he had to get out of the arena for the, uh, the Jericho and Roderick Strong match. But again, there seems to be a story being built between Sammy and Darby as well. So it'd be interesting to see what happens out of Double or Nothing and where these guys go. We cut to MJF, who is backstage waiting for Rene Paquette. Looks obviously agitated. 
Renee reminds him that he doesn't need to be pinned in his match and how is he feeling about the title. Smacks the microphone out of her hand and just walks away. We then get Tony Storm on screen. Footage of the outcasts attacking Jamie Hayter, building up there how long it's been since she's been away. Tony Storm then, again, she just comes across as really aggressive. I'm not the same Tony I was before. I'm a different beast now. Referencing that the champ isn't there. If you've got any guts, you'll come to Las Vegas. And that sets up a title match that I didn't see coming in Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter. If I had to bet any money on this, I'd have said it had been Soraya versus Jamie Hayter, with Soraya taking the title to set up a UK versus UK match at All In Wembley. But this gives something a little bit different that I wasn't expecting. Who do I think will win? Well, listen in next week when I do my preview show for Double or Nothing. And then we got to the main event, Ricky Starks versus Jay White. So it was interesting because they, they kept talking about it being Stark's country and hometown pops and whatnot. And I kind of had to think about it. And I was like, isn't Ricky Starks from New Orleans? But they referenced a bit about more about Ricky Starks, that he relocated after Hurricane Katrina. And I thought this was an all right match. I personally didn't get the crowd chanting, this is awesome, throughout. I thought it was all right. It was, a, for me, a solid three out of five match. No better for me than the tag team match that happened between the women earlier in the night. And in fact, I actually enjoyed the tag match a smidge more than I did this match. But I thought it was a decent enough match. The crowd were really into Ricky Starks. And I really hope that they can capitalise on this. Because the Jericho feud did take away some of his heat by how long it went on. Taz made a comment saying, that will cool Ricky off for sure. And I thought, nope, the Jericho feud already did that, Taz. But overall, they were really into him. I thought the crowd barrier was getting overtime tonight with the amount that they were just sending people into the barrier. The crowd very much on Ricky's side. Jay White is really good heel, not trying to be loved or anything like that, just trying to be a real skeezy kind of guy. And I really appreciate that about him. There was a great springboard DDT spot by Starks. I think that's when the This Is Awesome chant started. I thought it was, again, at that point, really good match but just nothing that took it to the next level for me. And I think they're holding back for something, or that's at least how it felt, which quite rightly, this should at some point go onto a pay-per-view, I'd like to hope. It's also really cool that Ricky Sarks has been allowed to hold his own with an IWGP champion. When you're bringing Jay White in, you could have brought him in straight into the AEW world title scene. And they haven't, because that's got stuff going on at the moment. But you could have had him going against someone like Adam Cole or someone of that stature when he comes in, but they haven't. They've gone for a different feud. And to allow Ricky Starks to almost get to his level as well in this match was really great. I think Jay White did a really nice urinagi, really high-angle urinagi. And then you had another section where Starks was elbowing his way out of the Blade Runner. And then Ricky Starks just got dumped out of the ring by Jay White. Ricky Starks keeps coming close throughout the match, just not getting that three count. And then in the end, there was just this great little sequence where Jay White got himself out of the Rochambeau. Few reversals led to Juice Robinson on the outside, finally getting himself involved, trying to trip Ricky. Tripped him enough that it got him into the Blade Runner, but then we got out of all of that as well. At that point, Juice Robinson runs in the ring with a chair. Ricky Starks manages to get the chair and he just decides to smack Jay White with it, which, why not? Absolutely, why not? Given everything that he's gone through with him, Ricky Sarks can't contain it anymore. 
and he just goes a bit wild with the chair causes a dq which we don't see a lot of an AEW. it did mean that it fell a bit flat to me at the end as well which probably dulls my enthusiasm for a little bit because when you've got a match like that and he didn't seem to really know how to act with the chair afterwards doing air guitar on the chair and whatnot it just felt a little bit odd i thought it was a decent enough ending for a feud that's going to continue it's definitely going to continue here and also we still had another segment to go. I think if this is how we ended the night, it would feel a lot worse than it does here. And then after that, we have the elite stuff that we spoke about earlier. So again, just really, really enjoyed how the show ended. I thought we end on a real big high note. And that was the end of this week's AEW Dynamite. So Guys, thank you all for listening to the show. I hope you all enjoyed it. I really enjoyed speaking to you guys and getting the chance to tell you what I thought of things. I would love for you guys to tell me what you thought of it all. So please, if you're on Twitter, go and follow us, All Elite Talking on Twitter. Like and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a comment. Give us a star rating. And also, if you'd like to give us some feedback or if you'd like to ask a question to be read out on the next episode, mailbag at alleletalking.com will get an email across to me. In the next week, I'll be back with a Dynamite review and a Double or Nothing preview show. This has been George. This has been All Elite Talking. Thank you for listening.